This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm your host, Christina Young, and today we're expanding beyond Moab and talking to someone who grew up next to the Great Salt Lake. I am a proud local Utahan. I, well, I'm not local anymore, but I grew up in Utah. I was born in Salt Lake City, grew up in the Rose Park, Glendale area. That is Dr. Saba Ohasan. After growing up near the Great Salt Lake, Saba went on to become a scientist who studies biology and computer science, a field called bioinformatics. Saba is currently a postdoctoral scholar at Scripps Research Institute in San Diego. But Saba's journey into biology didn't start with a childhood spent outside. Growing up, you know, my family, I'm a first generation American. Uh, my family is Indian Pakistani. And uh, I, it's so funny to have conversations with people who will talk about Utah and say, oh, you know, it's so crazy that like 19, 20% of the Utah population has like never gone skiing or snowboard. I'm like, that's my family. <laughs> uh, so I, I went a little bit when I was younger through school programs, but I never really had that outdoor experience or exposure until um, a high school research program that I was part of where they took us to the Great Salt Lake, which was right where I grew up. And I didn't realize just how cool it was. You know, you're describing this early, sounds like formative trip to the Great Salt Lake. Can you talk about your journey into science? I was always very curious about nature and science. I just didn't connect myself. I think in my mind, I always thought like, oh, that's like for smart people. And I really liked wildlife. I liked animals. And I remember in high school, we had this exercise to figure out what we wanted to do for our careers. And I was thinking maybe like wildlife biology or marine biology, which uh, I got some discouragement from my family because they really wanted me to be a medical doctor because that's very typical for a South Asian families. Uh, where, you know, immigrant parents want their kids to be engineers or medical doctors or lawyers. My friend told me about this program. It was for high school students that she learned about through her brother, and they gave a stipend. So it was a research program. They gave a stipend, and she really just wanted me to apply because she's like, I don't want to be with all these nerds. And then I did get it. So I did get into the program and that was the, that summer was also when they took us to the Great Salt Lake. And I remember, you know, those who are familiar with the ecology of Great Salt Lake, uh, maybe through like the Great Salt Lake Institute or Friends of the Great Salt Lake might know, or if you don't already know that the sand there is actually Owens, but that was something that really stood out to me is it's actually the brine shrimp poop those that was what that that's what makes up the sand and they gave us they put them in a little petri dish and they gave us little microscopes on this trip and that was just so crazy and cool to me i was like whoa like there's this lake that's right next to us it's the second saltiest body of water in the world and i just didn't think that there was so much cool stuff going on literally next to me where i grew up the neighborhood i grew up in i just always associated with this like very smelly place that's where people that are not as affluent live because you have a factories there. But yeah, just, just realizing that, wow, there's actually a lot of value to the Great Salt Lake. You know, you, you entered into science and then I'm curious at what point 
you began to realize or, or see around you that uh, connecting community to science and science to community was something that was important to you. So I was in this PhD program and I just hated it. Um, I hated it for a lot of reasons. I experienced a lot of prejudice and discrimination. Um, it was just a really unhealthy work environment. Uh, it was my first time kind of being outside of the state and I was just kind of away from everybody. And at the same time, I was talking to one of my best friends a lot who is uh, still based in Salt Lake, Jay Abubo, who now I think goes by Lux, uh, who is a, a filmmaker and who's Filipina and uh, also grew up in kind of the Glendale area. And we were just talking all the time about this. And so ha they have their own experiences with being uh, like a person of color in kind of the film community, especially in Salt Lake. And I was simultaneously having all these experiences uh, being a scientist, trying to be a scientist in New Hampshire, which is the third whitest state in the US next to Maine and Vermont. And it was just kind of a shock. It was more of a shock to me than I thought it would be because I had it, I actually had pretty positive experiences at the University of Utah doing research there. And I worked for, yeah, I worked for a range of people, which I realize now is actually quite lucky in terms of the diversity that I worked for. I, I worked in a group of people that was very international and the head of the lab was Filipino and, you know, just a lot of things of exposure to uh, things I didn't realize I was lucky to have earlier. Through these conversations with Jay, we both were just kind of fed up and we were feeling like, you know, we love documentaries. At this time, you know, we love documentaries, we love learning, but we just didn't really see a lot of ourselves in the, like, you know, that's like when, like, I think there was a resurgence of Bill Nye being popular. This was before Neil deGrasse Tyson. And, you know, you see like Jeff Corwin and Dave Attenborough. And it was like, well, where are we in these? You know, where are we in these types of media of like educational media? And that's where we were just talking so much and we we're talking about growing up in Salt Lake. And we're like, you know, and we were feeling unfulfilled in our own individual career pursuits. And we're like, let's just do something. Let's do something about this. Like maybe it's going to fall flat on its face. Maybe it won't. Who has any idea? But let's try it out. And so that's how the Biota project originally named Biota TV uh, formed. The concept of it was basically to bring together science and art through this multimedia approach, uh, but really just trying to bring something to people where people can be excited and, and feel empowered about the communities that they're from. Because yeah, anyone that's grown up in Salt Lake, anyone that has grown up most people i feel have grown up in places where they're not really excited or proud about where they're from in terms of the landscape and the ecology which of course you know in utah we're, we're maybe a little bit luckier and a lot of people see that value now but i think still for people that are on like the side of west valley for example you know there's and a lot of that comes into conflict or yeah there's a lot of overlap with you know, what is quote unquote, a desirable community or place based off of, for lack of being PC, what white people find desirable. This project came from a place of instead of, instead of people kind of outside of this scope, people, we, myself and Jay being people who have kind of experienced this firsthand, we're like, let's create a, an a organization or a space where people who really relate to this can, can make a voice and a platform for themselves, by themselves and for themselves and for others who they relate to. 
so that's kind of how where we're at now is this this organization is simultaneously it's transformed a little bit from being kind of a short science film documentary series to now being kind of a multimedia platform that serves as both a training platform for anyone interested in science communication from any background doesn't matter education level or if you're in science or if you're in poetry or if you're in politics and the other side of it is just giving people a chance to have voice about their own communities. Can you talk a little bit about the value you see in incorporating different ways of knowing? Because you're talking about knowledge sets kind of outside of of science, and I'd love to hear about the importance you see of these different types of understandings. I am South Asian. So my degrees are like biochemistry, chemistry, et cetera. And so some things that I've seen pop up culturally in the US is golden lattes, coconut oil, raw turmeric. And for anyone listening to this who is very into yoga or really into a lot of things about Indian culture, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance, I think. And this is also true for the scientific community where kind of what you're saying of like, you know, people telling people have people telling me or telling the world, you know, their discoveries on like turmeric and digestion or coconut oil, the benefits of coconut oil on your skin. And, you know, these are things that my family has been using and doing for a long time. And so now being a scientist and then also seeing scientific papers come out by people who don't have that cultural background or understanding, I mean, it's it's very frustrating. And it's for me, it's, you know, it's not even about, cause then people get into things about, well, how can I learn about it early, you know, but this stuff is so beneficial and people should know. And it's not about, of course, like everyone should be able to enjoy and benefit from things that they find out and discover to be useful, but it is about including the people that have historically known these things in that process versus putting something out as if it's, you know, your idea. Um, but it's, it is frustrating because in a, in a way it feels like people are taking agency for away from that community that was already there kind of unintentionally. And then they're giving that age, they're taking that agency and just also getting the credit for it. And again, I think it's kind of unknowingly a lot of the time, but it's kind of a prejudice superiority complex again, of, of saying, well, you know, this is how it should be done. And it's like, well, done according to who? historically Europeans, right? Like, oh, this is the scientific method. Well, scientific method, according to who? And I think asking those questions is really important and that there can be multiple right ways of doing things and that it's even better, even stronger if we can consider all of the options and kind of bring everything together and have that sense of greater community. My position currently is basically data science or bioinformatics. So I am working with data all the time. There are studies that factually show when you include people of different perspectives, your science benefits or your, anything you're doing, even in, the, in a team group for business, if you have people from different perspectives in the same room versus people of similar perspectives, you're going to come up with better results. And what's another way we can think about this in a scientific way? Well, let's think about biodiversity. So biodiversity we know is very important. We know that biodiverse high hotspots like the Amazon, like they have so much richness and so much 
so many resources, right? And then you look at a place that's like a lot more barren, like a crop field with cows, right? And we know scientifically, if we can put this analogy together, we know scientifically that, okay, that's a, that's a in terms of natural landscape, a crop of uh, a field of cows is much less healthy biologically than the Amazon rainforest. There's less biodiversity, et cetera. So why can't we apply that same concept to people? It's just sometimes so frustrating how people will do these really beautiful, fantastic studies and be so disconnected and saying things like, oh, science isn't political or, you know, this diversity, equity, inclusion stuff is just extra and not really part of science. It's it's a core part of being a good scientist. Um, so I hope people can think about that and also think about that when they're considering different types of knowledge. Yeah, to follow up on that, I'm, I'm really interested to hear about how, you know, your works your work in bioinformatics, how is that related to addressing, you know, some of these disparities? How how do you see those two fields? You know, data is everywhere. You post something on Instagram and you use these hashtags and, you know, there's certain hashtags that get used more than others, or there's certain types of images that get more likes than others. Data isn't everything. You know, the the average amount of time you brush your teeth every morning. Um, And that also applies to the environment and environmental topics. Uh, So right now I do, I work with Wikidata, which is uh, kind of an extension of Wikipedia. You can think of Wikipedia as a Word document and Wikidata as the Excel spreadsheet. And then I really, what I mainly do is the biomedical aspect of Wikidata. And so I make kind of automated bots to upload data from specialized biomedical databases into this compiled database where you have everything from you know celebrities to gene disease relationships to uh, wildlife, uh, just everything that you would have in Wikipedia is also in Wikidata. And again, it's a diversity question where we're populating this database with multiple data, uh, more specialized databases, and then extending that to invasive uh, to wildlife and, and the environment. And that stuff we can connect then because all of that is in one place versus being in very specialized places that are separate from each other, if that makes sense. I'm curious, you know, with all of all of these things that you've been involved in, what if you have a vision <laughs> for for how you see these things kind of interacting moving forward, if you if you have a way that how you how you would want to see all these different facets unfold. What I would say, what I'll wrap up in saying is speaking to the science Moab Moab community. So maybe a lot of people in Moab and then more largely in Utah uh, and that surrounding area. I think, you know, we can all, it's really easy to point fingers and I'm definitely guilty of this. It's very easy to point fingers and say, oh, the Californians, like they're moving in and they're, you know, driving the cost of living up or, oh, so-and-so like this, this community is moving into our community. Uh, and, and, you know, that I think that is an ongoing conversation that has happened for centuries, right? It's like, there, wh- whatever the scale, there have always been people moving around. There's always been displacement. Um, there's always change. Change is inevitable. So I think the way we respond to that change is very important. And so I, what I would say is, you know, it's very easy to point fingers, but first doing that internal work, you know, like you all have started this podcast that came from kind of an internal personal place 
uh, to set a tone or set an example of, of ways to be. And I think that's the best thing, you know, is that we can really only control ourselves and we can make sure that we are good stewards and that we set that example in the places that we live and what we do and that we are open people. And I think if trying me personally, trying my best to maintain that mindset, especially when I get very critical and judgmental of how others are, you know, whether it's politically or environmentally or what have you, um, I think is key. Lead by example, be approachable, be kind, be knowledgeable, be doing things that you, how you want people to do things, do those things yourself and, and be open and approachable in that process. And I think that goes a very long way if we can continue to maintain kind of that internal stewardship in what we do scientifically, environmentally, and just to really create strong communities with through that, I think can go very long, a very far away. Well, Sava, I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking. It's been so interesting and so great to get to talk to you about all these important topics. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for having me. And thanks for having this podcast. To learn more or listen to more Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab Media is by Sophia Fisher. Newsletter is by Rhonda Cook. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spalding. And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.